I want to share with you today about counting the cost of being a disciple of Christ. Now, if you spend any time with me, you'll find out that I'm really only good at sharing with people who are hungry to lay their life down. People who aren't interested in laying their life down with God usually aren't interested in hearing me speak. Because really, I don't see living with God outside of laying your life down. But unfortunately, many people live their whole life as a Christian where they're still in charge of their life, but they serve God on the side. And they give God the extra part of their life. But they manage their life, make decisions in their life. But there's a few people that want to really be discipled by Christ and really be used of God. And they lay their life down to follow God. And I want to talk to you today about counting the cost. Because you will run into this problem, if you haven't already, as you spend time with God, as you spend time praying in the Holy Ghost, and He begins to instruct you and lead your steps, you will come into a conflict where your natural body, your natural man, does not want to keep following God that way. And you can feel in seasons like that, like you're failing, like there's something wrong with you. Uh, Many people describe it as, I just feel emotional, I feel lethargic, I feel unhappy. And I thought following God was make me happy and make me blessed and have abundance. But why am I following God and praying in tongues and all of a sudden I feel miserable or unhappy or unsettled? And I want to share that that's not uncommon because the natural man, the outward man, is pitching a fit. It's used to living in charge of your life and in people's life. We spend most of our life, if we don't find Christ, we spend most of our life appeasing our outward body. But once you found God, he began to ask you to follow him and not your desires of the natural man. And so when you go through those emotions, it's only because your natural man is upset with you because you've chosen to let God have the reins of your life and it no longer can tell you what to do anymore. I'll give you a verse here to start off with in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll just read verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. So the narrative here is about uh, immorality and living in uh, sexual sin. And Paul says, first of all, your body is not even yours. So just because you feel a desire to go one way, a feel a desire to do something, if it's against the word, if it's against the standards of God, you have to take control of your desires. You have to take authority over your body and say, no, I don't let you do what you want anymore. I'm in charge of you. I'm in charge of what we do. And the Word says that we're only allowed to be with one spouse. We get married. And if we're not married, we're not allowed to fornicate. And so that's the idea that you don't allow your body, the desires of your body, can be extreme towards fornication, but also towards the plans for your future. Your body has desires for you, and it's your job to grab authority or take authority over it and to put it in its place that you don't live your life by your body's desires because your body has desires and plans for you and when god is the one leading your steps your body no longer can lead your steps so it will pitch a fit and make you feel miserable verse 20 for you are bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit which are god's So really, there's ownership here from God towards you, saying, your life is not your own. 
You no longer get to decide what you're going to do, where you're going to live. You have to yield over to God that right. And that's one of the struggles that many believers hit. And I want to talk about that because you will hit this wall, if you haven't already, that says a fight between giving God time, giving God extra money, giving God things, versus giving God your steps, your life. Because when God's in charge of your life, He's in charge. He gets to tell you what to do and when to do it, and no one else does. can't have two people in charge. It's either him or it's you. And so here he talks about the body fighting. I remember when I ran the Bible college in Tennessee, we'd have students come, and, and after about two months of being in Bible college, they were working jobs and paying bills and coming to classes and serving God. They came to learn about serving God. And they would hit a wall where they'd run into themselves, I would call it. After two months, the first-year students, every time, right on the dot, after about two months, a number of them would come and meet with me in my office and say, Pastor Al, I'm just, I just feel like it's time for me to move back, move back home. And I'd say, well, I thought God led you here. Why are you wanting to go home? Well, I just feel that God's telling me to go home now. And they would try to get out of facing themselves. And I would tell them, i said, listen, I know it's hard, but it's just because you're facing things in yourself that you never faced. So don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Stay on course. Keep praying. Keep obeying God. No, no, no. I just, I feel it's God telling me to leave. And a certain number of them I could talk out of leaving, and they were thankful later on because they had to go through the fight with their own flesh. They had to face their body and their flesh and say, no, you're not in charge of me. You'd be surprised how many people don't realize that their flesh is leading their steps, not God. The few that I couldn't talk out of it would leave after two months. And and for whatever reason, they'd leave. But I would get a phone call in about a couple of weeks and they would say, hey, Pastor, I was right. You know, I was so miserable there. I was so unhappy there at Bible college. Nothing made me happy, but as soon as I came home, I felt peace and just a beautiful peace of God. And you know, Pastor Allen, things are going so good that I'm involved in the church even more. I'm giving God double tithe and I'm giving God my extra time. And they give me a list of all the good things they were doing. And what the Lord taught me during that season was the moment a person stops obeying God, They tried to sacrifice more to make up for it. And God was no longer leading their steps, so they tried to appease God, not with obeying Him, but by giving Him more. I'll give you more money, I'll give you more time, but just let me have the right to live how I want, where I want. And that's a wall that many believers hit. They go off course as far as they learn how to serve God and not pick a fight with their outward body, with their flesh. Because their flesh will get mad at them and angry at them and make them miserable, make them uncomfortable, make them unhappy. Because your flesh is trying to sweat you out and say, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to make you feel unhappy. That's why happiness is not a sign of serving God, not a sign of obedience. Because every one of these people that left, they would call and say, I'm happy now. Well, of course you're happy because your flesh is rewarding you for obeying it. It's giving you a reward of an emotion of happiness because you quit telling it what to do. And so they would say, I'm happy, I have peace. Well, yeah, you have peace, but peace 
without overcoming your flesh really is in peace. I remember I was preaching at a church and there was a, a pastor and they were really wonderful people. And they had the best marriage. They were just lovebirds. And I remember when we left, I drove out of their driveway. We had lunch with them and we left their house. And as I was leaving their house, I saw them standing on their porch waving goodbye. And it's like God took the curtain and moved it. And I could see behind their marriage. And in a moment, I seen that behind their happy marriage, he appeased her by letting her do what she wanted in the family and lead the family. So they had peace in their family as long as, in this case, the the wife was happy. If the wife, wife wasn't happy, there was no peace in the home. So he had developed the man, the pastor had developed a way of keeping her happy. And the Lord told me that they have peace as long as he appeases her. But the moment that he follows me to places she doesn't want to go, then it's going to be a miserable time at that home. And that's the same for any couple, male or female, that if one of you doesn't want to serve God as much as the other one, there will be trouble in the home. And it's not your job to make it comfortable by giving up following God. When I asked Christy to marry me, that's the first thing I told her. I said, listen, I can't promise you a big house or a nice car or a lot of money because I'm not going to chase after those things. My life is going to be about serving God. And I want you to marry me and and come along with me. And I said, I can't promise you a big house or lots of money because I'm not chasing those things. But I will promise you, if you marry me, that I'll get you a lot of rewards in heaven because we will obey God. And she knew what she was getting into and she married me. And praise God for her because she's such a strength and a courage for me and and our kids. And so in our decision-making as a couple even, that there's been times where following God didn't make sense. You know, we live a few thousand miles south of my family, a good 600 miles west of her family. Her family is 600 miles east of us. And so God chose to put us here in Tulsa, and that's where he chose for us to raise our family and to follow him, it didn't make sense because our grandparents and the kids' grandparents and our cousins and all that are miles and miles and hours and hours away from us. And so we had to not rely like a normal family would, where normally you would just live next door to family member, free uh, babysitting and, and fun for the kids. But what God did for us, he gave us family where we live and friends and family that are as close as family to grow together and and raise the kids together in following God. But in following God, it didn't make sense to not give, to not live where normally you would. But that is God's right when he leads you. God wants to lead your steps. He wants to own your life. He wants to tell you what to do, where to live. Not in a prideful way, but in a way of accomplishing great things on this earth. And all of us want that, in a sense, to be used of God. All of us want to be in God's kingdom. But when we hit the price tag, the cost of laying down your life, that's when many people hit the wall and they they can't get over that. And today I want to just share with you, if you're hitting that wall and it feels like you're missing it or you're unsatisfied or unhappy because of your obeying God, because you're walking with God. 
I'm here to tell you, you're not missing it. Sometimes that's just your natural man pitching a fit because it's not happy with what you're dragging it through as you follow God. I was praying one time when I was a lot younger and, and seeking God, and I was in my room and praying, and and the Lord came in, and it was like he sat down right beside me on the bed. And I could hear him say, I need you to choose today. Are you going to pursue the high call of God, or are you going to be a normal Christian? And these were his words to me. I thought, well, of course, the high call of God. Of course. Because to me, in that moment, up to that moment of time, the high call of God meant a big ministry, touching many lives, a lot of people knowing who I was, worldwide uh, recognition, the power of God, and all those things. But before I can say, of course, I choose the high call, he showed me what the high call meant to him. This is what he showed me. In that moment, he showed me a glimpse of a life of laying my life down, doing what he wants 100% of the time, a life of prayer, of fasting, of sacrifice, and there was no glory in it. There was no, in this picture he showed me, it was a life of humbling myself to the point that my life was solely about pleasing him. And I thought I had that, but when he showed me that, I was shocked. And I said back to God, I said, God, you know, I can't even find the desire to be that kind of man, to live that kind of life. I can't find it in me, in me even the desire to yield over my life that much that I'm living my life for you that much. I said to God, I said, but even though I can't find the desire, I choose the high call if you'll help me. I said, if you'll help me, I'll choose the high call of God. And he left the room because at that moment he was wanting my permission to lead me places that my flesh did not want to go. And when I gave him permission, that started a path of laying down things that many people don't ever lay down. And and so many believers, when they hit themselves and they hit their body, they hit those hard times of laying down things that are more than maybe what they see in, in generic Christianity, and God begins to ask more of them. It can seem unfair, like, God, it's not fair that you're asking me to give up this and give up that, but you're not asking them. Well, maybe he's asking them, but they haven't gone that far. God's looking for people that he can work through. God's looking for disciples. He's looking for people that he can share his love through and that he can work through. He's looking for you and for me and his desire for us to rise that far with him that he can walk with us and trust us that much. There's many people who go to God who are followers of Christ who are going to heaven, but they'll never come to that place of discipleship, that place of letting go of their life. And it's because they'll find something in them that they don't want to let go of. I'll give you an example. In fact, let's go to Luke verse 18. And I'll give you an example. This is verse 18, verse 18 of Luke 18. Luke 18, 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept 
from my youth. So this young ruler told Jesus, yeah, I've been good at those. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I honor my father and mother. I haven't borne false witness. I've been doing that since my youth. So I'm good at that. So I want us to be clear here that here's a man who is fighting with something. It's not sin. It's not fornication. It's not drunkenness. He's obviously been a a solid character, a a young man that served God and loves God and has devoted himself to holiness. He said, "All, all these things I've kept since my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So Jesus says, I want you to come and follow me, but to follow me, first I want you to to sell all you have and give to the poor. Now, it's important to understand that the question was about eternal life. There is no path to eternal life except through salvation. And it's impossible for anyone to find eternal life except through accepting Jesus as their Savior. And Jesus is trying to point here to something in him that was hidden, a desire, the flesh that was hidden in there. And that's why he said to him, I want you to take all that you have. You lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So Jesus is saying, there's one thing though. And it's because Jesus being led by the Spirit saw the area of his life that he was unwilling to get rid of, unwilling to set aside, unwilling to lay aside and let God have a right to lead every part of his life. See, when you follow God, he doesn't want just part of you. He just doesn't want your money. He doesn't want just your Sundays. He doesn't want your Sundays and Wednesdays. He doesn't want just your time. He wants all of you. He wants your whole life. He is jealous of everything. In other words, he wants to be the number one in your life. Above everything. He wants to take you and and walk with you. And he has amazing plans for you. There's incredible things he has in store for us. But to get there, it's going to cost you everything. You have to come willingly to let your dreams and desires down. I heard in my young youth as I was serving God, so many preachers say, follow your dream. And God became someone who enabled me to fulfill the dreams of my life. But as I follow God, he began to ask me to not be led by my dreams, but instead be led by him. He wanted me to take my dreams and lose its power, let go of it, quit chasing it, quit pursuing it, and only pursue him. And not let my dreams lead me, not let good works lead me, but him lead my steps. And as I prayed in the Holy Ghost, I hit this conflict over and over. And and like this rich young ruler, I had something in me that I was unwilling to let go of, that I thought I, I had. I thought I was already victorious. I was already sold out. And I was sold out in busyness. I was sold out in serving God. But to come to a place of letting go, of making it lose its power over my life and say, I'm no longer led by those. And for an example would be, Everyone feels they have a right to happiness in life. That's why they even came to Christ. Because some preacher said, you want to be happy? Serve God. You know, and, and all of us came probably to make sure we got to heaven. But some of us came desperate because our life was a mess. We needed help. 
But whatever brought us to Christ, whether it was the idea that he would make me happy, he'd fix a marriage, he'd help me overcome things, he'd help me uh, find joy in this life, peace, whatever brought me there, I still had to come to a place where if I was going to go further with him on this earth as a disciple, I look at it like there's people who follow Christ where they're saved and they receive from God and they're going to go to heaven, but that's as much as they're going to really give God. And God bless them in that. And, but there's also a group of people who want to be a part of God's kingdom on this earth. They want to touch lives. They want to be used of God and part of God's work. And, and that has to be you if you're listening to me. To go there, to go further with God as a, a disciple, means that you have to not just give God busyness and things and activities and time and money, but also let him go to a place where you no longer have any rights. You have no rights to anything. God, my life is yours. If you have me sweep the floor at a homeless shelter for my whole life, that's all that I do. My life is yours. That's what I'll do. God, my life is yours. If I'm only used to see one person born again and no one in the world hears my name or knows me, That's okay as long as you know me and as long as I've done what you've asked me to do. I think in our culture we have taken busyness and replaced it for obedience. And so someone could say, I have this many people born again. And they think when they get to heaven that they'll get a reward for how much work they did for the gospel. But really, God rewards us for obeying him, not for doing things for him. Because in doing things for him, I can be busy, but I've decided where I'm busy and I'm deciding how I'm doing things. It can make me avoid facing that one line that looks inward into my body, my natural man, my natural emotions and says, you're not in charge of me anymore. You don't get to tell me what to do anymore. You don't get to tell me what makes me happy. You don't get to tell me what pleases me. You don't get to tell me what victory is. Only God and his word have a right to tell me what it is. I've been in discussions with people in fornication, living with someone they're not married to. And the argument is, well, don't you think God wants me happy? Don't you think God, and they have all kinds of reasoning and justification. But the truth is, the word of God says you can't do that. So whatever you think is making you happy is not going to make you happy. That's just your flesh telling you that. And your job is to say, the Word of God tells me this is what I must do, so I'm going to do it whether I'm happy or not because my natural man wants me to live for it instead of living for God. Every one of us has a natural body that tries to dictate to us what it thinks we're supposed to do in this life. But God wants to take the headship of our life and lead our steps and guide our steps. Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, I'll start in verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So if someone wants to be a disciple of Christ, if someone in this world, no matter where they are, says, God, I want to be 
a disciple. I want to walk with you and be used by you. I want to participate in this kingdom. Here's the first rule of discipleship, that you have to give Jesus ownership of your life. You know, in life we have many um, signposts, I call them, or, or milestones. That's expected out of you in this world. At a certain age, you should have this in your life. You should have this kind of finances. You should have this kind of car, this kind of house. You should be married or you should have kids. You should have this amount of success in this life if you are successful. If you're not and you haven't met that mark at a certain age, then you are unsuccessful. And I ran into that problem when following God took me down a path that didn't allow me to stockpile success signs. And so I was lacking. I was 30 years old and didn't have a a wife yet, didn't have a family, kids, uh, didn't own a house. My car was old and beat up. By every mark of my finances, my life, what I had under my own ministry, I was lacking. I, I was missing things. And it wasn't because I didn't try. It was because God restricted me and had me in a place of serving where I could not accumulate things in my life. And so when I would go meet people younger than me, and they had a house, a nice house, and they had a a nice family and vehicles and, and all those things that normal people have in the world, I lacked in those things. And God had to help me to accept that that was part of the cost of following him at that age. Now, since then, God's given me everything I have, I let go of. God's blessed me with all the things that I didn't have because I followed him. But I gave up the right to pursue them. And that's the, what I'm trying to get to is we can think that we deserve certain things. We have a right to things. And, and God wants you to have all those things. But when you come to a place where it's choosing those things versus God, in other words, God begins to lead you into things that doesn't make sense to your natural man may not make sense to people who know you, your friends and and certain family members. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you laying this much down? Why don't you do this and why don't you do that? And, And you have to say, I'm following God. That's all I know. Well, here, Jesus says that if you're going to be my disciple, and really that's who I I love preaching to, my messages and everything about me is about preaching to people who want to serve God, not just people who want to be blessed by God. Because there is a certain cost that's going to run into everyone who wants to be a disciple. Everyone who says, I want more of you, God. I want to have more of you. I want to be part of you. I want to be used of you. If you're praying in the Holy Ghost and you're following God, you will come to this fight with your flesh like the young rich ruler did, where he said, I've done all these things. I've been good. I've been obedient. I've been holy as I can be. And then Jesus said, yeah, but there's one more thing. See, Jesus knew by the Holy Spirit the area that he was protecting. And that's like every child. When I'm in the living room and uh, watch my daughter leave the kitchen, and she's got her hand hidden as she walks to her room. She walks by and I can see her hands hidden while she's hiding something from me. It's usually a a snack that she's not supposed to have, or my son does that too. You know, all kids kind of do that. Well, we do that with God where... We have areas where I'll give you all these areas, God. But there's just one area right here that I'm not going to let you have. It might be a a dream. Like um, when I grow up, I want to have a a big house on a hill. Or I want to have at least this much security. 
or I'm, I'm, I should have this much education, or these many kids, or we may have a dream that we are protecting from him because we don't want him to ask us to kill it. We want to keep that dream alive because in our eyes, in our, our natural man, it feels like it's going to provide happiness or safety. And if we let go of it, who's going to find happiness? Where are you going to find safety if you let go of your dreams? Well, God would tell you that he wants you to find happiness, security, finances, safety in him, not in what we do. One of the things that the dangers of serving God while you are chasing your dreams is you will make your dream come to pass. But see, when when you start serving God, he doesn't want your service to feed you. He wants to feed you. And so there's that protectiveness. I remember when my kids were young and running around, I could reach out and grab them. And just with my fast hands, they'd run by and I'd whoosh, grab one of them by the shirt and say, Hey, slow down. Come here, I need to talk to you. And I'd grab them by the collar and bring them over to me. But then one day, I went to grab my son and, and he was about six inches away where I just couldn't reach him. And he had learned how to say just out of arm's length where where I could talk to him, but I couldn't grab hold of him. And so many believers, that's where they live. They're with God. They're helping in God's kingdom. But when he goes to reach for them, they're just a few six inches away where he can't grab them. And we have areas in our life that we think we need to be happy, that I need to have you know this in my life. And sometimes it's other people's dreams. You know, other people put things in your life. If you want to make your parents happy, you have to have an education of such and such. You have to have a career of such and such. And I've watched many believers where they've got to be 19 and 20 years old and God began to direct them one way, but their family would redirect them to what they thought would be successful in this world. And they were right in this world, but the Spirit of God was trying to direct someone a different way. And some people would have to stand up to their family and say, no, I'm going to follow God, and it costs them. And other people chose to give in to their family and try to just do that to make their family happy and disobey what God was leading them. And so there is a cost to following God, and that's what he's referring to here in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, well, the word hate here doesn't mean I hate you like I hate you. I just, uh, you, you walk in the room and I hate it. The word hate here actually means to love them less. So it doesn't mean to hate them as much as love less than God. So if anyone comes to me and does not love less than God, his father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, and his own life, you cannot be my disciple. The cost to being a disciple with God, the cost to the high call of God is that you and I have to let go of our rights to have anything in this world. I don't have a right to anything. If I want anything or desire anything, God's my only source to go get it. And see, there's a part of crossing a line that I want to talk to you about. Many believers live their whole life and they're going to go to heaven, but they won't cross this one line. And it's the one line that's stopping them from walking in the power of God, stopping them from walking as a disciple of Christ. They're followers of Christ. They love God, but they won't cross this one line. And that's the line of letting go of the right of their life. That I have nothing. And and there's something about God where he begins to get into your life like the rich young ruler. And he'll find the area 
that you, you're hiding from him. And he begins to ask you to give it up. It might be a dream. It might be an idea that I need to be married by such and such time. It might be I need this much wealth. I need this kind of car. I need to be doing this and this and this if I'm really following God. And it could be desires of your flesh. It can be other people trying to make other people proud of you. But God has one mind that he wants you to follow his mind and not what other people think. And we hit this wall sometimes that here I am following God and I'm making people I want to make proud. I can't make them proud because I can't give them what they want. God's holding me back from that. And so letting go of the rights to say, I have to have this. God, I'll follow you if I can have this and this and this. I'll give you my life except for this area. And when we start to follow God, he begins to go into every little area. Say, I want you to do that. You may have someone you, you won't forgive, someone who hurt you in the past. And it won't be long, God will start saying, I want you to forgive that person. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? And you're trying to hide that from God. And he will go in and ask for every area that you have. Now, some people won't be a disciple. They won't go that far. But there's so much power, so much life on the other side. When you let go of your life, you actually gain it. And there's so much life that people are missing out because they're trying to keep their life. If anyone comes to me and does not love less than God, his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So being a disciple with God means letting go of your life and taking up your cross. There's so much preaching out there that doesn't talk about the cross. It doesn't talk about laying your life down. It talks about God blessing you. You want to walk in blessing. You want to be happy. You want to find joy and peace and fulfillment. But we're missing such an important part of following God. I don't want to just live this life and find happiness here and, and be okay in eternity. I want to be rewarded in eternity and God proud of me. I want to lay my life down for him. I don't want to just make it through this life and do some good things. I want to do all that I can that God wants me to do. He has great things for us, but it's going to cost us going past this line of I give up my life. I take up my cross. And see, when it says you got to love your mother, your father, your children, your wife, your brothers and sisters, and even your own life less than God, and that you have to take up your cross. He's telling you that you're going to run into these walls where there will be a moment that your family may not agree with your decisions. And many times in my life with Christy, as we follow God together, we've had to come across those decisions. Of following God took us down a path that didn't seem to bring reward. And we had to choose to obey that. And But I look back at those times, and they were wonderful times. We never lacked. We never went without but we went without the power to make it happen because God had to become the one who rewarded us. And you see an example all through Scripture where God begins to ask people to let things die, to kill things, to take the dream that God gave them and to kill it. So many of us have been brought up to think God's purpose is to make your dreams come to pass, the dreams that he gave you. And so we begin to follow God and, and maybe someone, if not ourselves, will say, well, this is what I like to do. This is my calling, so I'm going to make it come to pass. I'm going to do it. 
But in my experience, personally, as I follow God, there's been multiple times where God's direction took me away from what God told me he was going to give to me. And it was not my job to make his plan come to pass. It's my job to follow him and obey him in the moment, no matter where it takes me, that I have to trust him. So he gave Abraham a dream and said, Abraham, I want to make you the father of many nations. I want to give you a son. So that was a purpose and a dream that God gave to Abraham. So what did Abraham try to do? But he tried to make that dream come to pass where him and his wife could not have a child. They tried and it didn't work because of their old age or whatever, but they came up with a plan. And they said, well, technically, whatever is owned by Sarah belongs to her and whatever made is with her. Everything she has belongs to her, Sarah. So technically, Abraham, if you lie with my maid, uh, Hagar, as we get a son, technically that son belongs to me. And since I can't produce a child for you, then this is a way of making that happen. So it wasn't the devil that created Ishmael. It was Abraham trying to make the dream of God come to pass, the purpose of God come to pass in his own ability. That's what created an Ishmael. And so many believers in ministries and and people in this world, they're trying to make their calling come to pass, their purpose come to pass, their dreams come to pass for God. But that's not what God wants. Even though he gave you the dream and the calling, he's going to ask you at one point to take that dream and that calling and put it on the altar like he did with Abraham. Abraham was given a son by faith eventually, and that was Isaac. And what did God do with Isaac? We say, I want you to take Isaac, the very dream I've given to you, the very purpose I've given to you, and I want you to place it on the altar and kill it. And we know that Abraham, in his heart, had already killed Isaac and already went through with it in his heart, believing that God could resurrect him from the dead if he needed to. But God stopped him right before he plunged the knife into Isaac. And so that's an indication of how God will treat you, is he'll take the dreams that he's given to you, the purposes that he's given to you, the things that inspire you in your heart, the things that feed you, that make you feel happy, that make you feel safe. And he'll say, I want you to take that, and I want you to put it on the altar and kill it. But God, you gave me that dream. Well, he gave Isaac to Abraham, but he still wanted Abraham to kill it because God cannot resurrect and give you something that is still alive. So even though God gave you the dream, the next step he'll take you to is to actually kill the power of that dream to lead you and give God the authority to lead you, to kill the power of purpose to lead you. One of the worst things we can do is chase purpose and let purpose lead our steps. And he'll say, I want you to take the purpose, the things that make you feel purposeful, and I want you to put it on the cross. Uh, The things that make you feel valuable. I want you to put it on the cross. The things that you think are going to make you prosper, I want you to put that on the cross because God wants to be everything to you. He wants to be the one who you go to when you need finances. When you feel lonely, he wants you to go to him, not to a bunch of other people. When you feel unvaluable or unworthy, he wants you to go to him and not to doing a bunch of things so you feel good about yourself. And it is the high call is a sacrifice of all your rights 
to have those things to feed you. And much like the rich young ruler, he thought he had everything in order until Jesus said, yeah, but right there, there's a little part of you that you're hiding. It was so powerful that the wealth that he had, for whatever reason, he was unwilling to give it away and to follow Christ. He was unwilling to yield it over. There's a lot of messages in there, but that's what I want to take out of it for today. To follow Christ, we have to let go of these things and let go of our right to own these things. And there's a lot of justification in our natural flesh, in our body, that tries to tell us why we need to not let go of things, such as family. Many times in my life when God was leading me to do something, it didn't make sense in provision. It didn't make sense. It brought no safety to my family, to my wife and my kids. And it wasn't anything unsafe, but no provision, you know, and it was everything contrary to what the natural world does. But I was following God. Now, it's important to know the difference between thinking you're following God and really following God. But we follow God, and and the thing that I lost by letting go, God gave me. The very thing I thought I killed by following God, God turned around and resurrected it and handed it to me because he doesn't want those things to feed me. He doesn't want my ministry to supply prosperity to me. He doesn't want my ministry to provide self-worth for me. He doesn't want my calling to provide value to me. He wants me to be completely satisfied in him that if I need promotion, I don't go to people, I go to him. If I need provision, I don't go to people. I go to Him. When I need self-worth and value, I don't go to doing things. I go to Him and He gives me instructions. He becomes everything to me, all-consuming, all that I am. And He takes that ownership of my life. When, When I had questions about following God because it seemed to be contrary to normal standards of what made sense, God always came through, as they say. I found him to be a much better provider for my family than I ever could be. He loves my children more than I could ever love him. So in everything he told me to do in my life, it's been about what's best for my kids and what he knows is best for my kids. And so in following God, you will come into internally fighting with these roadblocks that will say, wait a minute, don't let that go. And these are areas that we hold on to and it can be purpose it can be sometimes it's twisted sometimes it's it, we feel it's sin and it's things that make we hold on to because it makes us feel scared to let go of it well he's going to go after all of that and it's going to cost you everything to follow god don't be deceived when someone says oh it's easy to follow god that's someone you don't want to listen to because they've obviously not had a fight with their flesh yet their flesh has held their hand and skipped the church because They know when they go to God, they don't have to die. My flesh has pitched a fit as I follow God, and I'm pretty sure yours has too. And it can feel confusing. Like, why am I having this emotion of being unhappy or not satisfied or unworthy as I follow God down these paths? You know, so when someone says to you, ah, following God's been great, it's been wonderful, be careful not to listen to them because they've obviously not been in a fight with the devil or with their own flesh yet. Because when you fight with your own natural man, you find out that it costs you to follow God. That it it costs you. You have to decide, make decisions. I give up God. My life is yours. 
I won't own that anymore. I let go of my dream. I let go of my purpose. I let go of all those things. I give them no right. Not my family, my children, my spouse, my job, my talent, my career. Nothing has a right anymore. My bills, nothing has a right anymore to tell me where to go or how to live. My life is in your hands. It belongs to you. Where you tell me to go, I'll go. And if you have me doing just one thing my whole life, and that's all I do my whole life, if my whole life I see one person saved, see, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be a reward by how much you produced. Because some people are doing a lot of good things, and they're producing in the name of God, but it's them producing in the name of God. And God's pleased with everything, but really when we get there for the reward, He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's looking for children who will come to a place of discipleship where they allow him to lead their steps. They become a servant of his hands and not a servant in their right to serve him. And they yield their life over to them because it will cost you. It will cost you to fight with your own flesh. It will cost you uh, moments of emotional struggle sometimes. It will cost you friends and family not giving you respect or not understanding you. It will cost you your own power to make life happen. But the reward is, when you get to heaven, number one, the reward is, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. So there's people who will stand in line and they'll have a million people. They'll say, I've led a million people to the Lord. And so I get a big reward. And then some some little grandma will come along and, and she only led one person to the Lord, but she did exactly what God wanted her to they'll get the same reward or she'll get a bigger reward because obedience is what he rewards, not productivity. So give your life over to him. And as you go through these challenges and you face this wall and you face this death, this cross that you have, and God begins to point out areas that you're hiding from him. And and don't be ashamed because we all have them. And sometimes we don't even know we're hiding it, but we're hiding it. And he'll let you know as you pray in tongues and keep following him. That's Him preparing you for discipleship. And whatever you take out of your life and say, God, you're asking me to put this on the cross. You're asking to put my dreams on the cross. And there's a fear that if I put it on the cross and kill it, I'll never see it again. If I put my desire to be a blessing financially on the cross, I'll never see it again. If I put my my desire to be a good husband or a good wife and and to raise my kids and, and put that on the on the altar... I may never see it again. But that's the trust where, God, you now are the only source for my happiness. You now are the only source for my success. You are the only source for fulfilling my dream. Not me. Even though you gave me the dream, you're now asking me to kill it. Because whatever you don't kill, he can't resurrect. Whatever he asks you to put on the cross, whether it's a dream, a purpose, happiness, finances, whatever it is that he asks you to put on the cross, if you'll do it and mortify it when he asks you to, then it gives him the ability to resurrect it and give it back to you. But this time it won't take you off course. Many believers, they, in the name of following God, lose a lot of things. They lose their family time. They lose many things trying to please God. You won't have to sacrifice all those things. You won't have to give up all those things because God will give you the dream. He'll resurrect it and give it to you. 
and it'll be by his power and his might and not by yours. When we face these hardship of seeing this wall within ourselves, when we run into this type of God asking us to die to things that is uncommon for other people, that's an honor that God sees you ready. Many Christians never get to the place where they even will give God permission to ask them to let go of those things. And so thank God that he's asking for you to let go of those things. And and it can feel fear. You can feel like, well, if I give it up, if I kill it, what's the chance of it happening? God's building a beautiful, trusting relationship with you where he becomes everything to you and he becomes your source of love, of joy, of reward, of prosperity, of your calling, of promotion, of ministry. He becomes it all to you. So don't give up. Press through. Your natural man will pitch a fit. It's just your natural man. And every good believer has to go through this battle. You're going to make it. Don't stop. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, as we press in and seek you more and more, you're always asking for us to lay down more and more and to trust you. Lord, we give you permission. We ask you to help us to walk into that place of mortification, that place of death to ourself, that place where our body, the desires of our body, the plans of our natural man no longer lead us, the dreams and visions. The only thing that leads us is your voice. We don't make decisions out of opportunity or out of frustration. We hear your voice and we follow. And Father, as we let go of the things as you ask us, we become powerless in ourselves, but you become powerful in our life. So I thank you for your grace on us, your strength in us to obey you and to walk with you. We want to participate. We want to be your hands. We want to be a part of your kingdom on this earth. We want you to look to us to bring help and to rescue people. So help us to grow and mature and to lay our life down, to be true, honest disciples of yours. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Your grace is on us right now. We can do it. Amen. God bless you, and thank you so much for taking time with me.